0: up ladies and gentlemen and welcome back to picking corners a box lacrosse channel production presented by party can cam has just informed me that he has a beverage that is meant to serve 12 people in his fridge right now just for himself we'll see where that goes on today's production uh, but party can covers all your party needs in one alcoholic beverage i think it's about yay big i bet it's got a lot of you know, alcohol in it,
1: and, uh, <laughs> and you know, don't bring it around right the boys.
0: Just bring it to Cam's fridge. Party can I will fun.
1: say it's pretty wild. Uh, they they gave us some samples. um I guess sa- samples is a is a small word to, to to put in front of that. But it's uh like they gave us the spice margarita, and I have to say it's actually very delicious. Um But <laughs> certainly not for a single serve. Uh, you know, for for one person by any means. That coward. Would- yeah, well coward. What do you mean, coward? Wait, have okay. that
2: thing by yourself. Grow
1: up. The way you said spice margarita just now really made me uncomfortable. <laughs> do you guys want me to just chill in the back? Should I turn my camera off and just go? Should I quiet quit on this on this <laughs> podcast? Go get your party kit. Come on. <laughs> Maybe I'll grab it at the end. Um, well, good to have you back, Tucker. Thanks for coming on a podcast. Appreciate it. Yeah, man. You know, been um and doing stuff, yeah. Well, let's. Well, I mean, first let's inter- introduce our guest, I guess. And...
0: Oh yeah, guys, this is Nick Isello. Nick, uh, everyone knows Nick for his uh, his Twitter takes, his ESPN, his lacrosse career, his personality. I think I think that's the one way to sum up where people they 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 recognize you from any of those adventures in your life but personality I think is what attracts them.
2: Well, I'll, I'll like coach and do all different things in the community. I feel like I had a decent career, certainly not in the NLL, but like, you know, I, I achieved the level of success that I'm proud of and they'll be like, Oh, you're the guy on Twitter. And I'm like, yeah, but you know, <laughs> but I also did, you know, I know what I'm talking about on the field. So, First off, thank you for having me. Uh, I don't know if I got in the middle of something there with uh, just the animosity about Party Can, about all this stuff. <laughs> but thank you for having me. I appreciate it. Um, and just for the record, for everybody listening at home, Tucker has kind of a, a basic bitch set up. Is that what, Italy, Chinkatera in a little framed picture sitting behind him? That's very cute.
0: That, that would be 100% correct. With a little sound bar right here. And look, yep. if we turn it, if we turn it this way, we got we got a nice little apartment scape out here, you know. You mean that parking lot? That's a sick yeah. view. Hey, shut up! You live in Chicago.
2: Some Patagonia yeah. hats. It's just it's a beautiful setup. I have a blank wall behind me. I can't talk too much, but I had to just throw that out there.
1: You know, the, the blank wall leaves you know opportunity for creative interpretation. So. <laughs> yeah. well, typically Tucker's the- joining us from his office, and that's a little bit more of an impressive setup. I, I'm I'm guessing you're going to be strolling into the office a little bit late today, Tuck yes yep. <laughs> that's hilarious yeah, but all
2: all that's to say thank you for having me I appreciate it so
1: well we're pretty pumped to have you on thanks for being flexible uh this is pretty last minute I it's weird you'd think you know with all of these accolades you're talking about that you'd have more of a busy schedule but I literally hit you up in the beginning of the week and you're like yeah I've got a ton of free time so really appreciate you coming on this yeah, <laughs> yeah making yeah. time for us but no um Really just want to get into, it. I mean, uh, in terms of, you know, the landscape of just lacrosse right now, a lot of exciting things happening for us. This is kind of like the first time we're really paying attention to the NLL offseason, right? So there's been a lot of pretty interesting moves happening. I know right now it's obviously a big push for people to or teams to be re-signing their players, right? But we've seen some some coaching moves and things like that that I want to talk about. Obviously, we're in the heart of the PLL season, um, and that's been pretty exciting, especially with the All Star Game just happening. Um, Tucker, I haven't, you know, been able to talk to you much about that, but uh, <laughs> because you're somewhere in a cornfield, some fucking field of dreams—I don't know what that is—but uh, <laughs> otherwise, Nick, tell me about what you what you currently have going on right now. What's uh, what's on the docket for this week, and and what do you what do you got coming up?
2: Yeah, uh, so. Pretty much all the summer travel is done. Had a road trip through uh, Washington and Oregon. Uh, did the World Games, which was a blast. Um, have one more wedding. And then the girlfriend is moving up from Dallas to Boise, Idaho, where I call home. Nice. Uh, so flying down to Dallas and then getting in the car with her and, and driving up. Uh, Idaho is paradise. I'm never leaving. Nobody can make me. Um, and then other than that, uh, the business is picking up steam. If you don't know, I run a company called Second Slide that uh, you know, puts apparel money back in the lacrosse programs instead of having it being sucked out to go to an apparel company's bottom line. Um, we just crossed the 200 store mark. We're about a year, year and a half Mm -hmm. in, um, and you know, last quarter of about 180 teams, we processed 45 grand to send right back to them. And that was money that was previously being sucked out. So I'm pretty much just doing an ad read for second slide right here. Um, but I'm I'm actually pumped. You know, summer and especially spring can be a little bit slow, and when you're trying this entrepreneur route, I don't have the financial stability, I don't have the consistent paycheck. So business picking up in like the last, you know, literally the last two weeks. Um, I mean, shit, I'm ready to pop a bottle of champagne and get back to work because um, you know the the feast famine of of doing the small business route. And we started it with some of my former college teammates, some other lacrosse players where we were just kind of sick of the apparel industry in general. Um, so to take it from a, all right, this seems like a good idea. Is it going to work? To holy shit, holy shit, it's working. Don't panic. Keep working. Uh, has has been actually incredible, especially now that, uh, you know, the past two weeks have gone well.
1: Yeah, that's great to hear. I mean, uh, I, I definitely want to be able to, you know, when we kind of dive into more of your interview portion of the the podcast, really. I mean, you're 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 coming from that entrepreneurial background, right? In in terms of just starting your own business, it's got to be something that's pretty crazy. I, I've been a part of a startup myself before, and uh, you know, that's definitely a roller coaster ride. I'm sure you've had a similar experience, and uh, I know Tucker's pretty interested in a lot of the business sides of of lacrosse, right? A lot of things that you don't see, um, and then a lot of that 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 background, right? That we want to continue to see also grow as part of the sport, right? When you say grow the game, it's not just continuing to to put sticks in kids' hands who might not have had that opportunity, which is obviously a huge part of it as well. But it's also growing the business side of lacrosse and making it into a legitimate, you know, sport business in, in general, right? So that's that's pretty awesome that you you have that going for you. We'll definitely be uh, be supporting you guys and uh, hopefully continue that success. I want to uh, kind of dive into some of those, those coaching moves that I mentioned with the NOL um, recently, Kurt moving over from Calgary to Vancouver. And then we just saw um, the D coordinator for Vegas um, who used to uh, be the D coordinator for Calgary as well. Go, go over to Vancouver and you kind of see that tandem. What does that mean to you in terms of, you know, kind of the landscape of, of the league now Um it's, it's very interesting to see that happen, especially with someone who's so tenured with a team like Calgary. Um, so I'm really curious to kind of hear instead of, you know, a fan perspective. I don't know if you call yourself an insider, but someone who has more of uh, inside knowledge on on something like that.
2: Well, in, in part of the broadcast prep, like you always make a point to communicate with all the coaches. So like I've gotten to know every coach uh, to some extent. Um, it's almost unanimous that Kurt Malowski is like a staple of Calgary, a very well-liked player, or sorry, a well-liked coach from his player. Um, This move was was very surprising. And I think it represents – I want to, like, frame it almost like a changing of the guard because the last two championships have been uh, Buff Colorado. And, you know, the West has kind of evolved into, all right, you got – Colorado you got San Diego you know uh, Sask has been good this past couple of years you know there, there's a couple teams that enter generally end up jostling but other than that it's you know Vegas being new will give them a little bit of a pass San Diego clearly establishing themselves as one of the premier organizations but not being able to get over the hump and get into the championship and what I think why I'm framing that as a changing of the guard is sometimes you just wait to see how things pan out, um, where, all right, I feel like we have a good core. I feel like we have a good coaching staff. And even though we might not have made it to the championship, even though we might not have had the success, we have the foundation to achieve success. And I think that enough teams were holding on to that for the past couple of years. And now they were like, this off-season in particular, they said, nope, it's not working. We need to do kind of a full... Fire sale, change the structure, change the roster, change the coaching staff. And no team represents that more than Vancouver. Vancouver had an absolute stinker of a season last year um, to, to, you know, really, I would say a surprising amount where it was like a, a joke amongst a number of the players in the league where Vancouver's a bye weekend. And, you know, you never really want to have that be your team. You don't want to be the bye weekend. So it wasn't a we have the coaches, we have the players in place to make a good push here, and we just need to nurture that and be aware of that and push it. They said everything needs to change, and I think they have the move of the offseason certainly so far. It's either them or Toronto. uh, By bringing in a guy who is universally loved and who you know that the players are going to play hard for, they're going to connect with, and really a a clean slate to build – off of what I think was rock bottom for their organization last year.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Go ahead, Chuck. Nick, do you feel like, you know, I guess seeing a lot of the inside of this and, you know, working with organizations and and kind of having that scoop, do you feel like there are certain NLL franchises that are are significantly more well-funded than others that also impact moves like this?
2: Well, what's nice about the NLL is there are rules and regulations in place. Like, you know, salaries have to be distributed and posted um, so that all players know. Like the, the CBA and the collective bargaining agreement and the Players Association as the relationship to the league is much, much more structured than other leagues. Like the PLL, they have the here's what you get paid as a player. And there are rules and regulations about that. But then you have like marketing agreements that nobody knows, you know, what those even are. There's no transparency. There's no players union to to negotiate a lot of these things. And in the NLL, there are. So as far as like, you know, well funding and and everything like that, I think there are rules and regulations in place where the, you know, kind of parity between the top and the bottom might not be as big as other people think. Certainly, you know, you look back to the MLL days. Yeah, teams were well-funded and taken care of. And some teams were pretty much a high school men's organization. Mm-hmm. Um, and that was a beautiful shit show. I, I think what's what's interesting about team dynamics is a lot of it comes into play as far as like, what are teams willing to provide? Is that housing? Is that, um, you know, coaching gigs? You know, you have to kind of earn the money in the NLL, um, so the, the funding question comes down to a number of things, but I think a lot of times it's just, what are the teams doing to allocate a comfortability and a reliability and kind of the, the little cherries on top? What kind of meals are you having after the games? What, what's the living situation look like? Um, and I would say that teams do a better job than others, but I don't know enough. I only played on two teams, Colorado and San Diego, both, uh, Colorado was Stan Cronky. San Diego was Joe's size. So I was very well taken care of. So the disparities that I know of are kind of just rumors and, and, you know, crap that I don't really think I'm qualified to speak on. Uh, But let's not forget, you know, would you rather live in Saskatchewan or would you rather live in San Diego? I think that might have a little bit of an impact on where guys choose to sign as well.
0: Sure. Sure. That's a great answer. What of those two of those two, I mean, I guess you have to be a little probably biased in some ways, but, the highlights of each one, just instead of picking one, just the highlights of each organization.
2: For what, Colorado and San Diego? Yeah. Well, Colorado was tough because I grew up in Denver. So that was quite literally a dream come true. Like when I was asking for birthday gifts uh, as a kid, it wasn't Avalanche games, Nuggets games. It was like, Mom, can we go to a Mammoth game? She loved that because that, you know, price tag is a little bit lower. She's <laughs> like, you could take one friend to an abs game or six friends to a mammoth game. I'm like, you know, no debate. Load of the um,
1: van. Let's go.
2: <laughs> yeah. So so that I would say was one of the coolest experiences. Granted, let's not forget, I was a terrible indoor lacrosse player. Uh, I had not grown up playing box. I did not know how all of it was structured so the very first experience I had playing box was mammoth training camp and I'm like oh shit this is a whole different thing and even though I could compete and was one of the better athletes that doesn't matter as much in box as it does field. they're like look at this great athlete who's also a dipshit that we can take advantage of every time his feet are on the floor um but the you know I would say to compare and contrast like Denver was a dream come true and then San Diego was like a great life advancement like getting out of Colorado I was living in San Diego I was working I was playing um San Diego is a little bit tainted uh I did rupture my testicle in a practice and six weeks of the season were kind of just sent you know spent sitting on the couch in throbbing pain so that's kind of a tough break um but you know, as far as difference in organization, Colorado had the establishment as well. So my first game, it was playing in front of 13,000 fans that were all going nuts. I was like signing autographs. People knew who I was, even though I wasn't a big impact player on the floor. They just loved that a hometown kid was, was suiting up and playing. Um, and I, you know, I have to be biased towards Colorado. I had a objectively better time. Uh, the, the fans were going nuts. It, it was fun to be a pseudo celebrity. Um, and San Diego was awesome just cause I still got to live the dream for one last year. I knew it was going to be over that season. So I just got to soak in every second. So Colorado, I was able to focus on the game, everything, you know, exciting this and that. And then San Diego, I was like, this is, this is not going to last. I better enjoy every second because, because I ain't getting invited back to training camp next year.
1: That's wild. I I want to, I want to jump off of your kind of allusion to the fact that obviously box is so much bigger in Canada right but now we're starting to see some prominent American field players go or especially you know junior players like Joey Spelina right some of those Syracuse guys go in and play in Canada I think for the most part we probably want to continue to see that happen do you think that that's going to be a bigger pattern going forward here and that some of these more prominent college guys are going to use their, their off season, their summer to go home their skills and play box in Canada.
2: I do. I, I think it, there are ways that it's being advanced that are positive and negative. And the only negative aspect of it is the specialization of youth sports. Like if you told me, Hey Nick, you can play box lacrosse all winter as a kid. And in college, I would have been like, perfect. I ain't doing that. Like I'm playing football in the fall. And I'm just training and essentially skiing and taking things off in the winter um, while still remaining in shape. So like the specialization alone is great for the box community, especially in some of these states, you know, that have good hockey infrastructure. Minnesota, for example, I expect them to be pumping out some great box players over the next couple of years because lacrosse is picking up steam. Specialization of sports, one's positive, one's negative, but all of that converges into having a good box program generally speaking in the united states um and then another thing you know just looking at things like the world games usa canada you can tell the difference in style no one is arguing that america has better stick skills than canada and i would say that from my childhood to especially now granted that's over the course of the last 20 years people now know the best players and the best stick handlers uh, and, and the best offensive minds and everything that you can really imagine comes from the Haudenosaunee and comes from box. Uh, so Canada and the Haudenosaunee and the Thompsons all progressing the game where they're like, how the hell do they do things like that? Well, you grow up playing box. Totally. And then I, I would say like kind of the final piece of that is I really like what, what um, like San Diego Seals, for example, they have the junior Seals. And now these little players in Southern California are getting coached by Westberg and Cam holding to not only phenomenal players, but phenomenal coaches and people. It's only going to draw places like San Diego to say, wow, this is objectively more fun than a field game where my son got four touches on offense, the entire game, like box lacrosse kind of has that advantage where it's a little bit faster pace. And everybody is getting reps every single time that they're in. You have 30 seconds to go be put in a blender and then you're out as opposed to some of those field games where it's like, yeah, you know, little Timmy dodged and shot it. You don't really get those opportunities in box. So it's like you learn how to play as a team. Oh, this was great. Always getting better. How much fun was practice? Good. I threw 800 passes as opposed to 50. I think there's momentum for box in the U.S., and I think it's going to be really fun to watch that come to life over the next five, 10 years. But also, let's not forget America's massive. Like, you know, there's going to be great box programs, and then Mississippi's going to go, what the fuck are we talking about? I don't even know what this is.
0: Yeah. I do think, I, I mean, I think there's an interesting piece that, The fact that Cascade is now making a box helmet.
2: Oh, I know. I know know you wanted to talk about
0: this. Well, I think it's a stupid (laughs) helmet. I think it's a stupid helmet. I want to say that first and foremost. Go get this. I think the fact that they are openly producing a box lacrosse product in their product line to provide to people alone shows that in the US there is a need for that because there's enough box being played now, which is crazy because, you know, five or 10 years ago, I don't think that would have been the case. Um,
1: you know, you know, like
0: it's, it's, it's just like, and it looks fine on the screen. Let me just say It doesn't look as
1: bad on the screen as it did on the player you sent yesterday.
0: On this, this, maybe the model was just bad that I could also be possible, but the, the helmet and the real stuff looked terrible. Anyway, the point of it, the speaking of this was that there's a need for box lacrosse helmets and cascade is going to provide that. And they're going to make their own helmet, acknowledging the fact that box lacrosse is happening. And it's interesting, you know, Nick, like you're, you're familiar with it. Like you've spent time in Iowa, you've spent time in the Midwest, you've, you've spent time in kind of all these unique places that lacrosse is still on the, the kind of growing end. And I think in a lot of those places, it's on the growing end in box too, which is, is really cool to see early on in state's growth, that box is being picked up and adopted earlier.
2: Um, yeah. And, and final probably, piece for yeah. that, like looking at NLL versus PLL, which is just the stupidest fight. Like we're all fight. It's, it's 500 people fighting over 10 bucks. It's like, really? what's us what if we tried to do both uh, from a fan perspective? I hate people that are like, I'm a PLL fan. So I'm not an NLL fan. The leagues, I can certainly talk about those dynamics because I think it's interesting. Um, but the reason that I bring that up is like, The PLL, I think the biggest flaw in pro outdoor lacrosse has been you're not competing with other sports. You're competing with a lake. You're competing with beer diet. You're competing with hiking. You're competing with camping. You are competing with summer. And, you know, come winter, you know, living in Idaho, it's going to be five feet of snow. Well, what the hell can we do outside, especially if we can't afford skiing? Well, if there's a box lacrosse program, that's the number one thing that we can do if we're a quote-unquote lacrosse family. I would encourage all lacrosse players to wrestle, to play basketball, to do anything. You're not that type of guy. Then go play box lacrosse because there's nothing else to do. It's minus five outside. Mm-hmm.
0: True that, true that. All right, boys, I'm skipping off. For the rest of the- <laughs> that's great. All right, I'll bye, grow. Tucker. I'll, 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 I'll grill, grill Nick in real the back
2: here. I'm fun at Cinque I, Terra. I, I, I,
0: I hope there's
1: just a I'm going to I'm going to listen to the rest of this like a like a listener and just hear you guys duke it out. So <laughs> what's up, everyone? Welcome back to Picking Corners. We got our interview segment here with Nick Asello. I'm going to call you the Swiss Army Knife. And I think it just in the sense because you, you've done field, you've done box, you've done broadcasting. You have a your own company now that you're trying to pitch to us and get us on board. I saw it. So you, you dove into the coffee realm a little bit too. Like, is there anything that you currently aren't doing or what, like what's next on the radar here? Are you going to get into golf next? Are you Are going to be like a lawn mowing service? What do you, I mean, what's on the docket here?
2: Uh, I'm a decent golfer. So I already have that. Oh, perfect. Uh, I'd, I'd love to get back into skiing. Really priority number one for me is I have all these skills and I seemingly for how much I like money, I sure as shit don't really make a lot of it. Uh, You know, (laughs) and it's interesting. We were running a company that was traveling and coaching clinics called Clinic Sports before the pandemic happened. COVID happened and that company folded and we had to rebrand into what we are today. I'm very appreciative for those experiences. But literally since COVID, it's been like kind of the month to month program. And I don't know how many listeners have ever experienced like true financial instability. It ain't good for you. It ain't good for your life. I was living out of my car for a little bit, essentially homeless. And I was like, this is, this has to change. And instead of just going and getting the job where it's like, Oh, here's, you know, six figures and, you know, benefits and this and that. I'm like, eh, right. let's, let's double and triple down. Like, you know, when, when you have nothing to lose, you know, you, you, I, I used this analogy the other day, you know, that phrase, burn the boats. Yeah. I didn't have a bur- boat to burn. I just swam ashore. Freezing right. cold. I'm Like, all right it, here we go <laughs> uh so what's next on my docket is literally tripling quadrupling uh the amount of work that we're putting in for second slide um started two weeks ago uh even even things like i don't drink on weekdays anymore i make myself go to the gym five days a week and granted i'm two weeks in so it's not like this has been consistent but just like okay, it, it's time to take a step into actually seeing this if this is going to work because the timer's running out. I'm 30; I don't have a lot of time left. Uh, but throwing my life at the sport of lacrosse, I've regretted it in some ways, but I wouldn't change anything about it.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And I, and I do want to talk more about you know you you starting your own business, right? Being a part of that process. Where did that idea come from? I know you know you you, you talked about it somewhat in the beginning of the podcast where. Obviously, this is, you want this to be a positive impact on the community, right? And being able to take some of these proceeds, put them back into the programs, things like that, right? Where did that kind of idea mantra come from? Where you're like, this is a huge gap that we're missing in the lacrosse community. And I want to be the one that, you know, kind of closes that gap.
2: Yeah, I would say it started during that those traveling and coaching days because we would get to relatively intimately know a lot of communities across the country. I think we ended up coaching in like 30 different states by the end of it. And what we started to realize is the problems in Louisiana are the same problems in Idaho or the same problems in California or the same problems even in Maryland. Um, so when COVID happened and we kind of had to just sit and watch our credit card debt go up and our bank account, you know, go down. Right. We're like, all right, let's start calling these programs and fundraising and apparel seemingly were nightmares year in and year out. Who's going to screw us over on apparel and who do we need to ask, uh, for a big check from in the community. And when we started to kind of do a little bit of a deep dive, we were like, wait, hold on. There's, there's something wrong here. And I distinctly remember reading an article and before I start this, Great people work in apparel. I just think the underlying business model has been profiting off of the backs of communities for too long. And so Squad Locker, for an example, their most recent valuation, they're a $250 million company. They're they're a quarter billion dollar company. What exactly are they doing for the communities aside from allowing them to sell t-shirts that they themselves profit off of? And once we step back and look at that ecosystem, of online retail, of apparel, of equipment, many people are doing great work. East Coast Eye is selling direct to consumer. That's fantastic. LAX.com taking East Coast Eye's product, selling it to a consumer and capturing the margin. Well, what's the purpose of LAX.com in that in that transaction? Yeah. They're just taking money off of something that people need to purchase. And so we were like, well, how would we get the community to start purchasing to start benefiting off of those purchases? And second slide was, uh, you know, the invention and pro- uh, solution to that problem. So now, you know, as a shirt is sold for 25 bucks, right? It doesn't cost 25 bucks to make. It costs about 17 bucks to make. So when somebody buys a shirt through their second slide corner store, the team gets that margin off of the balls, off of the new balance cleats, off of the player packs, off of the t-shirts. And, you know, it, it again, It's it's stuff that people are already buying. And instead of it being sucked out to the bottom line of some company whose headquarters are in New York, it's sent right back to the booster club for them to provide a scholarship, for them to pay for referees, for them to do anything that they need to do. And we charge a subscription to do that. So this entire new business model of let's remove ourselves from the rat race of trying to make this margin, send it back to the teams and charge a fee to do so. I mean, we're batting a thousand right now. Every team that we're working with is making more money uh, we manage the stores. So it's like Black Friday, Cyber Monday deals, Fourth of July deals, nice. like stuff that hasn't been available because we can put a better product again because of that key that we removed ourselves from this rat race.
1: Let's uh, let's talk about if someone's listening to this right now and they want to partner with you guys, what's the best way to reach out or, or to kind of get that going for them?
2: Literally just send an email to hello at secondslide.io. It's .io. It's not .com. We're tech nerds. It stands for input output. <laughs> Listeners learned a little something. Um, but no, you, I mean, it's, do
1: you personally respond to all the emails?
2: Yeah, that that's. Uh, I I have two inboxes. Uh, not giving out my personal.
1: <laughs> <But> <laughs> that's fine. That, we'll just we'll flash it on the screen under you so that. <laughs> <laughs> perfect. Perfect. But yeah, awesome. I mean,
2: it's it's picking up and it's going better. I would say.
1: Well, good. I mean, it, you know, one of the reasons we wanted to start this, this platform, this podcast is to be able to highlight, you know, the good that's out there. Right. Because I think, you know, for the most part, you hear about the best players in the world. You hear about, you know, the, the, the league success and things like that. And then you kind of hear about some of the, the shitty things uh, socially going on within the sport, but there's a lot of things and a lot of people that are here that are trying to make lacrosse a staple in their community. And, And you're definitely trying to do that and give those people the tools to be able to you know, be successful and then put money back and, and kind of reinvest in themselves. So that's an awesome concept. And, and you know, it, it's great to see that you guys are doing that um, to kind of shift gears. I'd, I'd love to pick your brain on a couple topics. I know, you know, we've only got a little bit of time left here, but I wanted to talk about your Notre Dame days. And I I actually read that you did letter in football. Is that correct?
2: Yeah, so in one in a shocking turn of events, I think the NCAA got this rule right. And if you, <laughs> if you play a different sport, you will, you're allowed a fifth year of eligibility. Nice. So I played four years of lacrosse at Notre Dame. And then I kind of didn't know what I wanted to do, but I always wanted to play football. I actually liked playing football more than lacrosse my entire life um, and had some options. I was looking at, you know, Montana. I was looking at Colorado School of Mines um and you know really the way that that came about was one of the assistant football coaches pat eilers who's just the greatest guy of all time uh his daughter was on the women's team so he had kind of heard oh there's this nick guy he's thinking about playing football he came and watched our game versus north carolina i had a pretty good game i was running around i had some hits you know doing all that stuff uh and after the game he came up and was like nick before you make any decisions i'd like to talk to you about notre dame football and I was like, oh, that's great. Thank you. Thinking that he was just going to give me advice, like, hey, here's <laughs> what you should do at Montana or wherever you decide to go. Right. Not here,
1: but, you know, I'm sure you could go do it somewhere else. Yeah,
2: that's, lit- that's <laughs> literally what I thought. And yeah. it turns out two days after we lost to DU when Westberg's, uh, you know, ended my college lacrosse career, I was on the field doing the 40 yard dash, doing the squat, you know, clean, running around, doing yeah. drills and then was able to be a preferred walk on. And I got one tackle to my name. One tackle. I got. I got on the stat sheet. Boston College at Fenway Park. Roll the film.
1: That's so sick. Um, do you think that a lot of the training that you did with the Notre Dame lacrosse program helped you be in a in a state to translate that over to the football team and 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 give it a shot?
2: yes and no uh I, i'd err more on the side of like lacrosse training and when you get to that level it's so specific and detailed so i was actually one of the weaker players on notre dame's football team um you know it took me an entire summer to build up what they had been working on for two three four years right right um and coming off a season you know it's more maintenance when you're doing lacrosse lifts it's three by ten sets it's mm. Um, a lot of non-preventative knee injuries. It's a lot of agility. It's a lot of this and that. And then when you get to the football training, it's like, you need to be able to sprint very fast for about 40 yards, 50 yards, maybe. And you need to be able to have a lot of force behind everything that you do. So it got me ready in the, in the sense that it just developed my athleticism. I understood how to move my body much better than when I entered college, certainly but the, the level of detail, um, you know, it, it really splits between lacrosse and football. And by the time I was done with my football career, I'll never be that strong again in my life. Like that, that football training thing is no joke to humble brag for a second. You don't you know, everybody asks, what's your max bench? Right. They don't really care about max bench. They care about the 225 reps. Uh, and I did 16 of 225. I'm never going to do that ever again in my life. And if I was doing that when I was playing lacrosse, I would have had one shift and then I would have been gassed. Um, so got me ready, but certainly didn't prepare me, if that makes sense.
1: Dan, do you think, you know, to your point, that's why it is fairly beneficial for kids to go out and play other sports and not just specialize in lacrosse year round, especially when they're younger?
2: hundred percent. Specialization is is a great tool to pigeonhole yourself as an athlete. You know, if you're looking to be okay at one thing, do that. But that's what I love about lacrosse. You know, go, go play basketball and understand the pick and roll game. I did not know how to play a pick and roll because I was not a basketball player. I was a football and wrestler. So I had no clue how to do that. So these guys that played basketball really knew how to dice me up. And then conversely, when I got a full head of steam, I knew how to initiate contact. I knew how contact worked much better right. than I knew X's and O's. So I could just get a full head of steam truck, stick somebody, and then go and try and shoot. Like you, you pick up things that you can't learn on a lacrosse field by playing other sports. And and it's just, it's stupid to think that playing wall ball in December, when you could be trying to play football for a state championship, it's it's a ridiculous notion to me.
1: I I mean, yeah, to relate to your story, I was uh, definitely um, football minded. That was my sport going into high school. And I remember after the, my freshman year, my, uh, my freshman football coach, I know I'm talking to him about what I'm going to do, obviously plays play lacrosse in the spring, but what am I going to do in the winter? And I'm like, you know, I think, I think it'd be fun to just go out for the bowling team, you know, do something that's a little like less physical. He's like, no, actually what you're going to do is you're going to join the wrestling team. Um, So I didn't have a choice and he made that choice for me. So I went out for Mm -hmm. wrestling and I wrestled varsity a couple of years. And uh, in the moment I was like, well, this kind of sucks. But I wouldn't ever change it because wrestling teaches you lessons that you don't really get in any other sports. I I would say maybe like an individual sport like swimming or something like that, where it's just you out there. Right. It's not a team thing. You only have yourself. Um, And there's there's a lot of takeaways from from wrestling that I was able to translate into football and lacrosse going forward. So I I didn't love it in the moment. But I think being able to diversify yourself, um, there's definitely a lot of weight to that. And I, I feel like, and, and and tell me if you think I'm wrong here, but I feel like a lot of people now with their being year-round lacrosse are starting to invest in just being a one-sport one, one sport athlete. And
2: the, I don't want is. to tell
1: anyone that that's, that's bad, but it, I think that there's just... If there's things in other sports that you just can't learn from lacrosse that that do translate that do make you a tougher athlete right
2: yeah and and if you're listening to this and you're playing one sport don't do that don't like simply don't do that and you, you know using wrestling and football as an example I say one of the best things that you can do to prepare for college lacrosse is play high school football because more often than not and I'm speaking in generalizations but I think it's it's pretty true your high school lacrosse coach is, structuring practice he's taking you through practice all right guys let's work on the stick skills he might get a little mad at you the the high school football coaches are lunatics they're they're calling you pieces of shit they're making you run you're puking on the sideline right there's a fight at football practice there's you know the the intensity of a high school football practice more closely mirrors college across than high school across does college across I, i certainly am speaking from personal experience and what I've seen in Idaho and what I've seen in all these different places, you know, you need a coach calling you a pussy because you're lollygagging on your last sprint as you puke down and the (laughs) puke over your chest. Right. If you're willing to try and do that, then you are set up for a successful college across career. Too many times I see recruits that have, you know, been blown their entire high school career, never really been pushed. They think they've been pushed, but they haven't really been pushed like a wrestler or a high school football player And then they get to college. The coach says, "You're an absolute loser. Like, get on the end line." And they and you know they've never experienced that. They need to vet that out in high school.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Well, I I know you got to get running here, and I I appreciate the time. Um, One
2: more question. This is fun. Well, oh, if
1: you, I'll I'll keep you on here as long as you want to be on here. But I, I mean, for me, I wanted to kind of move over to because you know you kind of have alluded to the fact that you've been predominantly a field player growing up right in in America not having that box yeah. experience similar experience to me I just discovered what box across was at 26 last year right like this is a whole new world for me and it's it's awesome you know even at this age being able to discover it and and just see how m- bigger the the community was than i even imagined what's it like for you to grow up as a field player but now really be investing in box, doing the broadcasting, kind of partnering with the seals, you know, where did that kind of shift happen for you and, and where do you see it going from here?
2: Yeah. I mean, it happened regardless of where I was, the only thing I've been consistently good at in my life is forming good relationships. You know, I, am a guy who's going to try and make you laugh uh, make sure everybody's having a good time. Even when I was a stinker of a player, I still wanted to get to know the back-end people, the front-end people. Tell me, you know, I, I think curiosity is a trait that I try to have consistently because I admire it in my favorite people. And so I was always curious. I was always asking questions, always making people laugh. So this transition was interesting because I didn't plan on being a broadcaster. I didn't plan on any of this. I just was curious about it all. And so when I was on that road trip and I was essentially homeless, Steve Govett of the San Diego Seals, who I got to know during the Mammoth, Gave me a call and was like, Nick, what are you doing right now? And I was like, I'm in the car. He's like, No, like, what are you doing in life? And I'm like, Good question, Steve. I don't have a goddamn clue. (laughs) Right. And he goes, Well, come work for the SEALs and we'll figure out what the role is and everything like that. And I did a couple different things, but I think the only thing that I loved and that I excelled at was broadcasting. You know, it, it was a chance to explain what I had learned. I could dumb it down enough so that uh, a random lacrosse fan tuning in that might've been their first box experience. I'm not calling it scissors. I'm not calling it a nation's look. I'm more describing it how I saw it as an introductory. Um, and I'm very, very blessed to have the confidence and the knowledge to kind of package that up into something that's hopefully going to be a long career. Cause I literally can't imagine a better job than getting to go and talk about lacrosse. It's it's everything I've ever been good at, minus the training. And I I said one more question, and you gave me like a three-minute preface to the question. So I do <laughs> have to get rolling. But listen, Cam, thanks so much for having me. I appreciate it. Maybe there's an episode two in the future. You never know. Well, there definitely will today. be. Uh,
1: yeah, I mean, we're going to have to have you come back on. I think maybe if we can grab you for uh, for an NLL season preview, that'd be, uh, that'd be a good good episode to have you back for, but really appreciate it. Um, and excited that we were able to make this relationship. I'll, I'll let you go here, but, uh, thanks for coming on and appreciate the perspective.
2: Got yeah, I'm going to onboard a, uh, a middle school, actually, not even a lacrosse program, just a middle school is working with second slide. So I'll keep that's the- fantastic. How that goes, have a good day. See you soon.
1: Sounds good. Thanks. Nick. appreciate it. Man.